0: Well good morning everyone. This week has been a very big week. It certainly has been for my family, Uh, not just for us but for millions of people around the world. It's been a huge week. It's taken more than 10 years to get to this point, more than 10 years and more than 20 films but finally Endgame the movie was released during the week. Uh, Endgame is a huge climax to more than 20 superhero movies that have come before it, each one building on the one that comes before, each one providing another piece of the puzzle and finally the movie that would bring it all together was released. Uh, During the week my kids learnt the theme music so that they could play it on their instruments. We rewatched older movies so that we could make sure we were up on what has come before. We've been talking about it, we've been making predictions, Catherine has been rolling her eyes. (laughs) It has been a big week for all of us. Now, look, even if you're not into the Marvel movies, uh, we all know that feeling of anticipation, don't we? You know, that build-up of expectation. Uh, You're waiting for the bride to finally arrive. You're sitting in the doctor's room, uh, waiting for your name to finally be called out. You've bought something really cool off eBay, and you've got to wait until finally your package arrives. Uh, For me and the kids, this last week was 10 years in the making, 10 years in the waiting. Endgame for us was a really big deal. This morning, uh, we are starting a new teaching series in the book of Matthew. And Matthew wants us to know that the coming of Jesus Christ, it's a really big deal. Before Christ came, a very long build-up, a long waiting time, anticipating when he would finally arrive. And Matthew wants us to know that the wait is finally over, that Christ has finally come. And so this morning, as we look at these opening chapters, we're going to be reminded of the significance of Jesus. We're going to be reminded of why we would make much of Christ in our own lives, because he really is such a big deal. So let's take a look. We're going to be working our way this morning through Matthew chapters 1 to 4. Uh, So as always, it'd be good to have a Bible handy. Just as important, it would be good to read ahead during the week. Uh, There's no way we can look at all of the chapters in detail here. Uh, But for now, for this morning, we're going to start with Matthew chapter 1 and verse 1. And from his opening words, Matthew wants us to know that Jesus is the Christ. So verse 1 of chapter 1. Matthew starts his book about Jesus this way. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Matthew's book, no surprise, it's all about Jesus Christ. And to introduce us to who he is, Matthew records his family tree. So as you scan your eye down from verse 2, you're going to see a whole bunch of names. It begins with Abraham, then you've got Isaac, Jacob, Judah, Perez, and on and on the list goes. But in verse 1, Matthew singles out two names out of all the 40-odd that are going to come. He singles out two names abraham and david as being particularly significant and that's because god made massive promises to abraham and david so about 1800 years before jesus god promised abraham that he was going to bless the entire world through someone from abraham's family this promise is then repeated but made even bigger with david David's about a thousand years before Jesus and God said to David that this promised one that would come was going to come from his family line and this one would be God's appointed king he would be the Christ is what he would be called and this Christ was going to come from David's family to live forever to rule forever to care for God's people forever And down through the centuries, God kept filling out these promises, adding more and more exquisite detail through his prophets. And so by the time we get to Jesus, God's people have been waiting for thousands of years for all of this to come true. Now, in that time, lots of things happened to make it look like God's promises wouldn't come true. Maybe even they couldn't come true. But Matthew begins his book with the bombshell that the Christ has finally come. After rattling off his family tree, this is how Matthew summarizes it in verse 17. Look at it there in verse 17. Thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile, and 14 from the exile to the Christ. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. So Matthew's book... It is all about Jesus, the Christ, the long-awaited. Oh, my goodness, he's finally here. I never thought he would come, but look, there he is, Jesus, the Christ. And to make sure we don't miss the Mount Everest-size news that Jesus is the Christ, for the rest of chapters 1 to 4, Matthew spells out what Jesus has come to do as the Christ. And the way Matthew highlights it for us is by recording the words of angels, so heaven-sent messengers making their big announcements about the Christ. It's one way of making a point. To reinforce things, Matthew also drops in words from God himself, quotes from the Old Testament. And Matthew does all of this so that we will feel the weight of just how big a deal Jesus is. So what we're going to do now is we're going to quickly work our way through chapters 1 to 4, looking at anything that God or the angels say about Jesus. And the first thing that Matthew wants us to know about Jesus being the Christ is that he has come to save. And this was made very clear right even before Jesus was even born. So you know the story, I'm sure. His mum, Mary, is found to be scandalously pregnant. Uh, Joseph, the supposed dad... Uh, He decides to break off the impending wedding, but an angel comes to let them both know that something very big is going down with the baby that's on the way. So look at it now there from verse 20. Verse 20. But after he, that's Joseph, after he'd considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. That is very big news. And so God sends a very big messenger. The angel declares that Jesus, as the Christ, will save his people from their sins. Now that is very big, very good news. Because God's very clear to us that we are all sinners. We've all broken off whatever relationship we might have had with God. Our sin, our rejection of God means we've made ourselves God's enemies. You get in trouble with the law here in Dubbo. That's bad enough. But to put ourselves on the wrong side of God Almighty, you know, we've got to be kidding. But God's very clear. It's what we've all done. We've all failed to treat God as God. We've all happily gone about our own lives, doing our own thing, deciding for ourselves what we're going to do with our lives. We've all left God out of the picture, gone on with his with life as if he's not there. Problem is he is there. I can pretend all I like that police, judges, and jails don't exist. You know, I can pretend there's no consequences for my actions, and I can just go ahead and do whatever I want, but the police and the judges and the jails do exist so does god even if i pretend he's not there he is and he knows what we've done but instead of serving us the justice we deserve he sent his christ to save us from our sins so we're thinking about last weekend the christ came to die on a cross Take our punishment for our sins so that we could be justly forgiven and put right with God. Jesus as the Christ, he's a big, big deal because he can save people from their sins. And so, friends, I have to ask you, have you? Have you been saved from your sin? Are you one of Christ's people? Have you asked him to save you from your sin? As we move into chapter 2, we discover that there's another reason why Jesus as the Christ is such a big deal, and that's because he's come to rule. Uh, This isn't very surprising, because the title Christ means God's anointed one, God's king, that he is appointed to rule over all the earth. That's what the word Christ means. And so, of course, Jesus as the Christ came to rule. Uh, We see this very clearly in the words of God uh, quoted to us in chapter 2. So in chapter 2, The current so-called king of the Jews is a guy named Herod. He gets wind that the Christ has been born, but instead of rejoicing, he feels threatened. And so he gets some religious leaders to come in and tell him where the Christ is to be born. He wants to know so that he can go and find him and kill him. And this is what the religious leaders tell Herod about where the Christ would be born. So pick it up now in chapter 2, verse 5. Chapter 2, verse 5, in Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. See, long ago, God promised that the ruler of his people, his Christ, would come from Bethlehem. This is one of God's words about his Christ, and that's why Jesus was born there, because Jesus is God's appointed ruler. Not only that, he would be known as the Son of God. Again, it's a title that comes with authority. And this is dropped in by Matthew, again, by reminding us of some of God's words about his Christ. So when Herod finds out that Bethlehem, is the birthplace of the Christ, he orders for every boy in Bethlehem under two years old to be slaughtered. But an angel warns Joseph about it, so he does a runner, and after being warned by the angel, skip down now to verse 14. Verse 14, so he, that's Joseph, so he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Uh, Those words from the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son, were originally said of the nation of Israel. Uh, Israel was the ones, they were the one that God called out of Egypt, but Matthew here uses those words from God to refer to Jesus. Jesus is the son of God. God will say the same thing again over in chapter 3. Jesus is baptised and as he comes up out of the water, God calls out from heaven saying, This is my son. You see, Jesus is the true son of God, the true ruler. He is the Christ. And so by the time we get to the end of Matthew's book, we're going to hear Jesus declare these famous words, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He's been raised from the dead to have control over all things and all people. There is no one that can escape his authority. He is a big, big deal. And so, friends, don't resist Christ's rule. He is God's appointed worldwide Ruler, You and I are not in charge, not even of ourselves. Jesus is the Christ. He has come to rule. And in coming to rule, this would necessarily bring the Christ into conflict with those who don't want his rule. And so inevitably, the Christ came, not just to save and to rule, but also to judge. And this is where Matthew takes us in chapter 3. It's the third reason we're given that Jesus as the Christ is such a big deal. In chapter 3, John the Baptist comes onto the scene, and God's word about him, are that John's job was to get things ready for the Christ. So look at it there with me now, chapter 3, verse 3, chapter 3, verse 3. Uh, speaking about John, this is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. The Lord himself was going to come, God personally coming for his people. That's Jesus, the Christ. And the way John got Israel ready for the Christ was to warn them that the Christ would judge. Have a look at what John says to the religious leaders in verse 7. So halfway through verse 7, John says, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? And John knows that it'll be the Christ who comes after him that'll bring that coming wrath, that'll be that judge. So look at what John says about the Christ from verse 11. Verse 11. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not fit to carry. He'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So Jesus here is pictured as a harvester, uh, harvesting wheat. The wheat stand for those who belong to Christ, the chaff, or they are the ones who oppose him. And that Christ will gather up his people like wheat at harvest. Those who acknowledge him and trust him, he'll bring them into safety. But those who persist in opposing him, well, Christ will burn them up like chaff. In other words, they will come under his judgment. There will be those who oppose the rule of Jesus Christ. But they will not win. Christ himself will deal with them. They will be destroyed under his judgment. You do not want to mess with the Christ. And not only because of the trouble that you'll bring down upon yourself if you refuse to acknowledge him, but also because of the good that you'll miss out on. As Matthew closes these introductory chapters, he wants us to be clear that Jesus as the Christ, is a very big deal because of the hope that he brings. So chapter 4 opens with Jesus being tempted by the devil. And after he's finished with him, we're given some more words from God, helping us to see what Jesus came to do. We'll pick it up now in verse 13. Uh, Jesus is moving out of home. And Matthew reminds us at this point in time of more of God's words to help us to see that Jesus, as the Christ, he came to bring hope. So chapter 4, verse 13. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfil what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way to the sea along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles... The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. So did you get the scene? Jesus moves towns, deliberately moving into the region of Zebulun, so that he could fulfill these words from God, because from that region would come someone who would give the people hope. And the people needed hope, didn't they? Did you see the despair that the people were in in verse 16? The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. In these verses, death is pictured as casting a long shadow over the people in the land. Everyone under the shadow of the darkness of death. It's a depressing picture, but it's real. As real today as it was back then, we're all under the shadow of death, aren't we? We're all desperately trying to delay the time of our death. We try and pretend it won't happen or that we can think about it later, but the older we get, the longer and darker death's shadows become, creeping up on us with increasing dread until the day comes when death takes us. But Jesus Christ came to bring light into this darkness. He came to bring hope. God sent his Christ to bring in the kingdom of heaven where the light of life reigns, not the darkness of death. And so as we read on in Matthew's book, we'll watch Jesus bring the dead back to life. At the end of the book, Christ himself walks out of his grave, never to die again, and he promises eternal life to all who would believe on him. Friends, are you getting a sense of just how big a deal Jesus is as the Christ? In these chapters, Matthew is pulling back the curtain on the very fabric of reality. In our day-to-day lives, it can be easy, can't it, to get lost in the routine of wake up, get up, go to school, go to work, go to bed, press repeat. But the meaning of life, it is not to work hard, make some money, pay the bills, go on nice holidays, reach retirement. That's not the meaning of life. Our destiny is not to just die and push up daisies. Because the Christ has come. God's appointed ruler over all the world for all time and into eternity. The judge of the living and the dead, the one who can give you life after you die, Jesus the Christ, has come. And so right here and now, I think Matthew wants us to realize that we should be making much of Christ. Our lives should be all about him in everything we think, that we say, that we feel, that we do, all for Jesus' sake because he is the Christ. Now, if you're sitting there and you're not someone who is making much of Christ in your life, you know, your life is not dominated by him. If you're here this morning and you're not Christian, can I encourage you, please, to carefully consider Jesus, because he is the Christ, which means your life isn't actually about you, but you can be forgiven for all the times you've lived as if it is, because Jesus can save you from your sins. He can give you life after death. And for those of us who do follow the Lord Jesus as the Christ, Brothers and sisters, I think we need to be careful to not domesticate Jesus. Let's be careful not to put Jesus in a nice, neat little box that we can handle. You may have been living with Jesus as your Lord for decades, and that is a wonderful thing. But we don't want familiarity to dull our senses to Jesus. We don't want to just be going through the motions in the way in which we relate to him or in the way in which we live before him because Jesus is the Christ. He's our Christ. He's the saving, ruling, judging, hope-giving Christ. And so let's make much of him. There are so many places we could go with this, isn't there? We could think about our money, our families, our workplaces, how we use our smartphones, what we think of church, how do we look after ageing parents. Friends, every single area of life is transformed by knowing that Jesus is the Christ. But for right now, I don't want to dive into the detail. Matthew's opening chapters give us a big picture of who Jesus is and what he has come to do. And so this morning... I want to address our hearts. I want to help us to remember why we call ourselves Christians in the first place. It's because we believe that Jesus is the Christ. We believe he's the son of God. We believe That he has the power over sin and death. We believe that God himself walked on this earth. Come to us to die for sinners out of love, to rise from the dead, never to die again, to give eternal life to all who would believe on him. We believe that he will come again to judge the living and the dead. We believe that at the grave, when we bury fellow believers, that it's not the last time we will see them because we believe that there truly is someone who is actually in charge. One who has all authority in heaven and on earth. One who holds the keys to eternal life and eternal death. And we believe that his name is Jesus, the Christ. We believe in him. And that's why we make much of him. That's why every moment of our life, we are choosing Christ, his ways not ours, his concerns, not ours, his priorities, not ours, his dreams, not ours, his kingdom, not ours, because we believe, we believe in Jesus, who is called Christ, let's pray, Heavenly Father, we acknowledge your son, the Lord Jesus, born in Bethlehem, grew up in Nazareth, moved to Capernaum. We believe in your son as the one raised from the dead, the Lord and Christ. And we pray, Father, that you would give us such deep and settled conviction that in everything and every moment of our lives, we would gladly live for him who is our God and Saviour. Please, Father, help us with this. Give us the strength of character and mind and will that in every situation and in every moment we would gladly choose Christ. And we ask it for his glory, for his honour, and in his name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, our last song helps us to remember that Christ came, the one with his kingdom. Uh, We'll stand, we'll sing, and then friends, please join in some morning tea.